One of my uh, favorite old-time authors is a guy named Max Licato, and he's written lots of books. And what I love about Max Licato is that he tells a lot of stories. And if you like reading stories, I'd recommend reading Max Licato because that's all he does is tell stories in his book, and he uh, brings home great points. But he tells this one story. It's stuck with me for many years, and I, I've ta- taught it. I've shared it often. It's about his, Chippy the parakeet. Now, Chippy was a parakeet that lived in a beautiful penthouse cage. You know, he had the mirror and the swing and lots of food, always plentiful in his cage and, and you know, newspapers on the bottom. And, but every once in a while, his owner would go and clean out the cage and would, like, go and take a vacuum cleaner, like, probably like a shop vac, and vacuum out the bottom of the cage. And she, one day she was cleaning out the bottom of Chippy's cage and had the vacuum cleaner in there, and then the, the phone rang. And so she leaned over to grab her phone off of the the table, and she tipped up the wand of the vacuum cleaner, and there went Chippy. Turned around, Chippy's gone, right? Immediately turns out the vacuum cleaner, opens it up, and like there's Chippy in the bottom of the vacuum cleaner, just covered in dust and dirt and hair and all the gross stuff. If you've ever opened a vacuum cleaner bag, John, have you ever opened a vacuum? Have you touched a vacuum? No, okay. Vacuum cleaner bag, you know what I'm talking about. And then He's in there, and then so she immediately like grabs Chippy and rushes him into the bathroom and turns on the cold water. So can you imagine like you've been sucked into a vacuum, into a dark place, you don't know what happened, you don't know how you got there, and then all of a sudden the light appears again, and now you're under a, a waterfall of cold water poured over you, and Chippy Parakeet is being doused with cold water, and now uh, after she cleans them off, she's looking at Chippy the Parakeet, and Chippy the Parakeet now is, is freezing, is shivering. So she looks over at the hairdryer on the back of the sink and grabs the hairdryer, turns it on full blast, and starts to blast Chippy with the thing. Chippy's losing feathers at this point, going bald at this point. And then after it gets them dried off, puts them back in the cage. And I have this, I just can only imagine that Chippy was never the same after that. You know, he just <laughs> never was the same. But, you know, life has a way of doing that to us, right? Have you ever been sucked into a dark place? Like, like how did I get here? Why, why is this happening to me? And then you're doused with cold water and you're blown away. Man, I don't know. Life has a way of doing that to us, right? And this season of Lent, the season of preparation, that's a season of preparation leading up to Easter. Easter's in April and it's a few 40 days away, and we're looking at this, but over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of the resurrected life. Like, how do you move from a dark place, a tomb, to the resurrected life in our lives? I love the song that we started off with today, we're going to close with today. This glorious day song that we sang talks about being entombed by our shame and our fears and our problems, and then being in this dark place, and then God calls our name and calls us out of this dark place. We're going to be talking about this, and that's why it's called the Lazarus Project, because that's what happened to Lazarus. We're going to look at the life of Lazarus. But before I even get to Lazarus, I want to just talk a little bit about what is this resurrected life that we're talking about? What is a resurrected life? First of all, I would say it's new life. It's this idea that God calls us to live a new life, to abandon our old life, our old way of being, our old living, and take on a new life in, what we, in Christ. And we actually, over this season of preparation, uh, in ancient times, they would prepare people to be baptized on Easter. 
And on Easter Sunday would be baptism. And so this season would be a preparation for them to be baptized and preparing them for this new life in Christ. And how many people here have seen a baptism before or ever seen a baptism maybe here at our church? And we, we, we dunk people here. We, and some people we hold under the water longer than others. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but we, we immerse, what we call, we, we practice uh, immersion baptism by immersion, which means a person goes down into the water and is submerged in the water, which is representative of them dying to their old life, and then they're raised out of the water or resurrected to new life. And that's the symbolism behind baptism, that we, we, are, we put to death our old life, and then we're raised to this new life. We're resurrected symbolically in our baptism, but it's also a symbol of what's happening to us spiritually inside. So I would say to you, if you've never been baptized and you're interested in being baptized, we're actually going to be doing it this Easter. We'll have an opportunity for people to be baptized um, and, uh, in, at Easter time. And so if you're interested in that, let me know. We'll make sure that that can happen for you as well. Or even as you're going through this season and hearing about this resurrected life and you're feeling God nudging you to live this resurrected life and you want to be baptized, uh, let us know. We'll be glad to help you with that. The other thing about the resurrected life, because a lot of times we think of the resurrection as something in the future. Like, oh yeah, and even Martha says it. We'll see that Martha says it. But oh yeah, it's in the future. It's when I die. You know, I'll be resurrected, new life, you know, go to heaven, yada, yada, yada. We tend to think that resurrection is some future thing. But I want to suggest to you this morning and through this season that resurrection can happen now. Like Today. Like, you could experience resurrection in your life today and begin to live into that new life starting today. Or maybe you're already in that life, and maybe you just need to be resuscitated again, you know. It's kind of, maybe it's time to put the shock paddles on again and get recharged and allow God's resurrection to happen to you again. So know that it can happen today. It's not just a future reality. It's a present reality. It's present and future hope. Not just hope there, but a hope today. So we, we are aware of that. We'll talk about that more. But the, the, the other thing I would say about resurrection is this. It's also about maturing spiritually, <laughs> like moving and maturing. And even if you've been a Christian a long time or a short time or not a Christian yet, it's okay. Maturing spiritually happens over time, and sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's not instantaneous, like, you know, you called up out of the tomb and you're just miraculously resurrected. Sometimes it, it happens over a period or a season. You know, I think about bamboo. I don't know if anybody has an experience with bamboo in their yard or garden or whatever, but sometimes bamboo can grow underneath the surface. The roots develop under the surface for up to five years before you see anything happening. And then all of a sudden, when you see that shoot come up out of the ground, in the next six weeks, that thing's growing eight, ten feet, right? In six weeks. So five years led to enormous rapid growth. I think about my own faith. When I first came to Christ, when I first accepted Christ into my life, it was instantaneous, you know, aha moment. It was kind of like this moment of resurrection and new life. But I could look back and say, you know, God had been preparing me for years for that, right? The root system had been developing over time for a long time, and that was just the moment it emerged, right? So that's one way spiritual maturity happens. The other way is by pruning, um, you know, there are times where we need to actually prune things away or take things away for us to grow spiritually. Uh, do you know the human infant, when it's born, they estimate, and this is probably a huge estimate, I don't know how accurate this is, but I'm going to quote whatever I found on Wikipedia this week. Um, so they said that, that 50 trillion synapses are in the infant brain. So when a baby is born, it has 50 trillion synapses in their brain. And then over the next three months, 
they multiply that by 20 times. That's a lot of activity, right? And so, and then that keeps happening, uh, not as fast, but it keeps happening over the first three years of life. So the first, imagine this, the first three years of life, three months, sorry, first, yeah, three years, three months, three years of life, the infant brain is just expanding and creating new connections and creating new connections, and it's just going, getting really big in its connections and developing all these connections as it's learning and growing. But after age three, what it starts to do is actually starts to take away those connections. And as you and I mature into adulthood, our brain is actually reducing the connections. And that's why I can't remember things anymore. The connections are going away, right? But that's also about maturity, right? Because sometimes there are too many connections. There's too many things, and we need to prune back to actually mature, right? So that's what the human brain does organically. But I would say spiritually as well, you and I, there are times where we have to prune stuff out of our lives to actually grow, We have to get rid of some things that are in the way of growth to actually move and mature and experience this new life that God calls us to. So those are a couple ways we can grow. But the bottom line is we're called to this resurrected life. It's about new life. It begins now, and it emerges as we grow in Christ. So I'm going to take a look. We're going to jump in. I've been spending a lot of time setting this up. But we're going to take a look today at this story of Lazarus. And uh, if you want to open your Bibles and you want to follow along with me, you can pull open your phones or whatever you're using for your Bible. might be on your phone. Uh, we're going to be in John. It's the Gospel of John, four Gospels, beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in the fourth one. We're in chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 17. It'll be on the screen. If you want to look in your own Bibles, it's in your pew or on your phone, you can do that. Uh, I'm reading out of a version called the Contemporary English Bible or Contemporary English Version. So we're going to be following that. But I'm going to jump in here, verse 17. So a little background. Uh, Jesus has been delayed in coming to see his friend Lazarus. Lazarus has died. His friend Lazarus has died, and they've buried him, and they've put him in the tomb. And Jesus now comes to where his sisters are. Mary and Martha are his sisters, and he's come. And Martha has just come out of her house to go meet Jesus. And it says this, When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And four days means he's dead, dead, right? You know, so like in that ancient time, they believed that up to three days, the soul might still linger with the body, but after three days, the soul was gone. And so in that culture, they knew that if it had been four days, he's not coming back, right? This is not going to go anywhere. So they knew that. Uh, And so that's why it says four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem, And many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary after their brother's death. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. And while Mary remained in the house, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Again, she's referring to the future resurrection She's not thinking about present resurrection. She's thinking it's still off in the future. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Right? She replied, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, God's son, the one who is coming into the world. Do you believe this? 
See, it's actually, he's asking Martha not to, for this basically a profession of faith, right? But notice that what Jesus says, he's actually saying, I am. This is one of the, what's known in the Bible as the I am statements of, of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on and he says, these are the two things that need to happen for us. We believe and we live in Christ. We believe in Christ, that he is the son of God, that he is the one that can give us the hope of resurrection, but we also live in Christ. That's not just intellectual sense. So you and I could sit here and we could stand here this morning and say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he is a resurrection. But Jesus is also inviting us to live in him, which means to pattern our lives after him, to live with him, to be in relationship with him, and to live as one of his people and one of his followers. That's what it means to live in Christ. Now, I think Jesus wants the resurrection for us personally, individually, corporately, as well as he wanted it for Lazarus. How do we know that Jesus really wanted this to happen for Lazarus? Well, one thing, Jesus actually takes a great risk. We didn't read this part of the passage, but when Jesus actually goes back to see the family, his family, and go to his tomb, which we're going to read about, he's actually taking a great risk to his life. It said earlier in the chapter because he was talking to the disciples, like, all right, let's go back, guys. It's time to go back to Judea, which is where Jeru in, near Jerusalem, where in Jerusalem they wanted to kill him. And that's what it says in verse 8. Rabbi, the Jewish opposition wants to stone you, but you want to go back? Right? Like, the disciples are looking at Jesus like, why would you go back there? We, we know, and he's basically explaining them, you know, I think, you know, I know that Lazarus is dead, so we're going to go back for Lazarus. But his disciples are like, uh, we had trouble there. We know there's going to be trouble there. Why are we going back, right? Here's the thing. Jesus is willing to risk his life for Lazarus. We also know that Jesus was willing to risk his life for us when he went to the cross. And it's actually part of this story that leads the chief priests and the Pharisees to get together and say, we got to get rid of this guy because now he's resurrecting people and he's threatening our way of life and he's threatening our religion and he's threatening the temple. We've got to crucify this guy. And so that's actually part of the reason they wanted to get rid of Jesus. But he's willing to take the risk. I would say that he is also willing to take the risk for you and for me to bring about the resurrection in our lives. If you keep going in the passage, we'll see what happens. And I want to point something out about what happens when Jesus gets to the tomb. So I'm jumping in on verse, uh, looks like verse 32 here. So if you want to jump there, it says when, so Mary now has, I, I'm skipping over a part, Mary comes out as well. And so it says, when Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Again, that's the other sister saying the same thing. And then when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. I want you to pay attention to that phrase. He was deeply disturbed and troubled because you're going to hear it again. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, right? Jesus began to cry, right? The Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again. When he came to the tomb, it was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. 
And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been there four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. And then he goes on, and we'll jump back in in a minute. But I want to point out this idea that Jesus is deeply disturbed and troubled. It says that twice in the text. And if you look at the original meaning of this, if we go back to the original language and we look at this, there's this attachment of anger to these words. So it's, when he's talking about being deeply disturbed and troubled, it's actually referring to Jesus's, Jesus being angry. <laughs> like, there's another episode in the Bible where Jesus goes in the temple and he drives out the money changers and he's angry. We don't often think of Jesus angry at this point, but it's actually there in the meaning of the original text. That Jesus is coming, and as he sees the women weeping, and as he sees the mourners, and that he begins to weep, he's also angry. And as he comes to the tomb, and he's facing the tomb, his response, again, is one of anger and being upset. And it's actually this suggestion that he's actually physically shaking. Have you ever been that angry? <laughs> Where you just shake, right? Do I need to take you into your cars and your automobiles? Or someone almost hit you and you're upset and you're mad. What are you doing? You're shaking, right? You're upset, right? That's where Jesus is. And you have to ask the question, why is Jesus mad? What's he angry about? I think he's angry about death. I think he's angry that his friend died. And that he says, no more. He's, he, he's, he's had it with death. He's had it with sin and death in our lives. And he's saying, no more of this. I'm done with this. I'm tired of watching people die. I'm tired of people suffering. I'm tired of all this, and I can do so. And I have the power to actually do something about it, right? So he's angry about it. I remember one time uh, I visited a widow who her husband had just recent, just just recently, like died, like the day before. And I was talking with her, and and she was, you know, up visibly upset. And this beautiful, godly, Christian woman who I had known for years, was so wonderful, and I, you know, just so pleasant and so wonderful. She's like sharing with me how upset she is with her husband's death, and she starts to use some cuss words. And I'm like, whoa, church lady is cussing, right? And I'm like, I didn't expect the words to come out of her mouth, and then she, you know, because, you know, anytime you cuss around a pastor, people are always very, I apologize, oh, sorry, pastor, I didn't mean to, you know, offend you. I'm like, don't worry about it, and I but she was like, she started, and she caught herself. She said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. And I was like, no, don't be sorry. You're angry. <laughs> That's a part of grief. You're angry that you've lost your husband. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that, <laughs> right? And she was just visibly upset. She was visibly angry at the death of her husband. And anger is a part of grief. And we see that coming out of Jesus here. He's grieving, but he's also angry about it, <laughs> you know? He's grieving and he's mourning, but he's also saying, I've had it with this. I'm done with sin and death ruling this world. I'm done with this. And he wants to do something about it. And so he does something about it. And we're going to keep reading about that. And this is, we'll wrap up with this. In verses 40 to 44, he says, he goes, Jesus was deeply stirred again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. And then we'll jump to verse 40. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you 
that if you believe, you will see God's glory. So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied, his face covered with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Untie him and let him go. Can you imagine Lazarus? Like, you, I don't even know. He's like Chippy the parakeet, right? I mean, he's like literally been in a dark place before. He doesn't even know what just happened, right? I don't even, I can't even imagine. He can't even see as he's walking out of the tomb. He's got his, he's all wrapped up in bandages and everything. And he's probably like, what just happened? I don't even know what, but he was, he was, he was dazed and confused in this moment. So much that he needed help to get out of his grave clothes. And so Jesus says, come out. He hears this voice, right? I think and my imagination goes here. I like to imagine what it was like sometimes to be there. And my imagination takes me is that Lazarus is dead until he hears the voice of Jesus. And at the moment he hears his name called by Jesus is the moment he snaps out of it and he comes out of it and he is resurrected and he says, come out. And so he just follows the command of Jesus and he stumbles out of the tomb, but he still doesn't know what's going on, right? Jesus has the power to call us out. Whatever our darkness is, whatever we're wrestling with, whatever's holding us down, whatever's blowing us away, whatever it is, Jesus has the power to bring us into this resurrected life. And only Jesus has the power. Not me, not you, not anybody else. It's trusting that when Jesus calls our name, like we sang, and we're going to sing, come out. We come out. We've come into this resurrected life. But even then, there's still another step, right? Untie him and let him go. We still, even when we enter into the new life in Christ, there's still some things that we have to get ourselves free from, right? So my question as we end this message today is, what do you need to untie and let go of today? Jesus calling your name, calling you and I to the resurrected life, but what's still tangling us up? What's still holding us in our grave clothes, right? Our old life, our old way of doing things. Because Jesus desperately wants us to experience the resurrection. That's God's will for you and for me. Not the old stuff, it's the new stuff. You know, ancient hunters would try and hunt monkeys and hunky, monkeys, hunkies, monkey, I told you I was tired, hunkies, monkeys are hard to catch. So ancient hunters devised a way to catch monkeys, and they would create jars with small openings in them. They would put food in the jar so that the monkey's hand could go into the jar, but if it grabbed the food in the jar, it would then make a fist and would be unable to pull its hand out of the jar. And this is actually called a monkey trap. This is how they would trap monkeys when they would hunt them. Uh, this is hundreds of years ago. I don't know if they still do it today. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that's the idea, right? And so the thing about this trap is that the monkey is actually free anytime the monkey wants to go free. <laughs> the, the monkey can get out of this trap very easily, 
It's just a very simple thing the monkey needs to do, right? Let go. <laughs> Let go of whatever it is that it's holding on to, right? And the moment it lets go, it experiences freedom. But what happens is monkeys just keep holding on, right? They just keep holding on. And so what is it that you're holding on to that's preventing you from freedom, from the resurrection, from experiencing God's work in your life? What's got you bound up and tied up that you need to let go of today, that I need to let go of today, that we need to let go of today? Let's pray together.